that time, we are now connected and we are on. To obey is better than sacrifice. Has, has anybody ever heard that one before? Yes. This is where that comes from. Tonight, First Samuel 15. Yeah, that's right. He wrote a song called That's Right. It's all about that. Came right out of this passage right here. The Amalekites are uh, concerned with this chapter. Uh, we're familiar with them, aren't we? Well, the Israelites sure were. And uh, they're one of the peoples that uh, dwelled southern part of Canaan, uh, way down there. And the uh, Israelites had left Egypt. Whenever they finally started coming towards the promised land, they were one of the first nations that the Israelites were greeted by. Not in a friendly way. Um, they were encountered by them and uh, became enemies forever uh, after that. One of the surrounding nations was Israel had uh, constant conflict. And so we will look at that. We will look at the... Um, mistake and the sin of Saul that's involved in this as he goes up against the Amalekites as commanded and he's commanded to destroy the Amalekites so that's what we're dealing with tonight let's have a word of prayer Father thank you for this evening that we have in time of studying your word knowing better about how you operate and why you do the things you do. We are thankful that you are a holy God and we are always knowing that what you do is always right. And we see the sin of mankind. Whenever you are holy, man can be as unholy. So that's what we will look at, Lord. Help us to understand better. Amen. So, in the first seven verses is the command by God. He tells Samuel to tell Saul, here's what you're supposed to do. So we pick it up verse 1. Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Well, that's a good way to start off any Bible study, isn't it? Listen to the word of the Lord. Well, this was a special message to Saul. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against up on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has and do not spare him but put to death both man and woman child and infant ox and sheep camel and donkey then Saul summoned the people numbered them in Telaim 200,000 foot soldiers 10,000 men of Judah Saul came to the city of Amalek sent an ambush in the valley. Saul said to the Kenites, Go depart, go down from among the Amalekites, so that I do not destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the sons of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. So Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah 
as you go to Shur, which is east of Egypt, stop there. Utterly destroy anything that breathes. Anything. Man, woman, child, infant, all the animals, everything. Destroy it all. Why? Why does God annihilate all nations anyway? He does it to all the nations. He's always done it. Why does He do that? Well, number one, there are general reasons for annihilation of peoples, like, for instance, the Canaanites. They, uh, these are the people, they, you know, they possess the promised land. That's where they lived. Uh, the Israelites was... It was going to be their land. God is giving it to Israel. The primary reason stated above is that the um, people are exceedingly wicked. Every man, woman and child, everyone is a sinner. And they all deserve hell. They all deserve judgment. All of mankind from the time of Adam and Eve till right now. But there are exceedingly sinful people that have to be wiped out. And if they're not wiped out, they will, like for instance the Israelites, uh, they will teach Israelites their sinful ways. And they will carry on. And of course, obviously, that's what they, they did. They followed many of the other nations and the ways that they did it. So the enemy is to be killed. But why the women, the children, the infants, the cattle... You know, it's, wouldn't wouldn't that be a common question that mankind would have? The sin of the Canaanites involved had defiled everything, every person, every animal, and God would not allow them to survive. Just like sin has touched everything, but this is exceedingly sinful. It's a Sodom and Gomorrah situation. They were evil and wicked and they continued on with it. It was really awful. Horrible. Um, Sin is sin, but there are consequences and worse sins than others, aren't there? In the way that it corrupts. But the cattle and, and the innocent children ordered to be destroyed. What kind of God is this? Is this why a lot of people will say, I like the God of the New Testament. But I don't agree with the God of the Old Testament. They don't believe in God, do they? He's the same God. Um, let's see what Leviticus 27, 28 and 29 says in the law. Right at the end of Leviticus, as a matter of fact. Nevertheless, anything which a man set apart to the Lord out of all that he has of man or animal or the fields of his own property shall not be sold or redeemed. Anything devoted to destruction is most holy to the Lord. No one who may have been set apart among men shall be ransomed. He shall surely be put to death. So whatever is set apart by God, uh, whether it's holy, whether it's unholy, uh, it is a serious thing. And uh, no one may have been set apart among men shall be ransomed. He'll be put to death. That was in Leviticus 27, 28 and 29. So, um, would it be safe to say that 
those little infants are going to grow up as Amalekites. They've, they were affected so much. God's showing how holy he is. It's kind of one of those things about like the the ox cart and they put the uh, the ark on it. You know, one of those. You can say, well, it's just a little thing. But the holiness of God is much more than we can even imagine. Our humanness is still asking. But God, the infants? Yeah. Um, why are the Amalekites specifically mentioned here? Again, I think they're even worse than all the other people. They're all going to be judged too. But it's time for them to go. That's why. <laughs> it's just it. Why is a later generation of Amalekites destroyed when it, because of, let's say, of another generation? You know, um, you, can, you can think that what was it? I think it's in Exodus. Oh. No, it's in Genesis 15. God makes a covenant with the Amorites, not the Amalekites, but this, you know, same kind of people. And it was like he was saying there's a certain time that they're finally going to be judged. All nations are. They're finally judged, aren't they? They all have been. They always will be. In verse, let's say, 19 of chapter 15, the Kenite, the Kenizzite, the Cadmonite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, and the Rephaim, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. And God's making a covenant there with uh Abraham, he's mentioning the people that are in that that area, all the Ites, Hittites, Perizzites, um, the Amorites. Uh, if you back up into verse 16 then, then in the fourth generation, they will return here, that's the Israelites, after they've been in Egypt 400 years, they will return back to their land, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. That means there's a lot of sin that they're going to do. And God says it's going to finally reach its limit. That it's finally spent. And that's where I'm going to judge. He knows exactly when He's going to judge certain people, certain nations. And for the Amorites, He says, it's, I can't judge them yet because the iniquity hasn't ran its course. So He allows it to go for a long time. You wonder how America has been able to go during the time that I've been living here in this nation. Grew up in the 50s, 60s, and it was kind of gentle in the 50s. Boy, in the 60s, it really started showing. And then boom, the 70s hit, and it just took off. And he could have judged them then because that's where a lot of the ideas that we have now that were uh, are really coming true. A lot of the universities were packing themselves with Marxists all through the seventies. We knew that. We knew we knew they were there because we knew there were atheists that were teaching in in the universities. They it's run rampant here in this country. So, but he lets it run. Its course. We don't know how long it's going to be for this nation, but it will. It will take place. 
But the, they were guilty. There's a just risk retribution that God has for not only the Amorite, but the Amalekites. They're right in with that too. Uh, their predecessors may have sinned greatly, but people that were living at that time are sinners too. So they're really not paying for, and they're innocent, and they're paying for the other generations, but it's because they're guilty and they deserve God's wrath. And they made women childless. We read that, I think, last week. Um, the Amalekites did not bless the Israelites. So if you don't bless the Israelites, what will God do? He will curse them. I'll either curse you or I'll bless you. If you are a blessing to the nation of Israel, somehow you get in on a blessing. Well, I think that's one reason why America has stayed as long as it has through the time that I've lived here. Because America has been on the side of Israel. But we know there have been some people that do not favor Israel. And of course, Obama was one of those. And uh, some of the things that he was trying to pass through and get through, you know, of course, he would, was definitely for who? It wasn't Christianity, it wasn't Judaism. It's Muslim. And it's what he is. So. Marxist communism are the Muslims that are gonna finally take over the world. Well, I think yeah. they really help. Yes to all of that. Yeah. Because they're right in with it. They are as socialist as they can be, even though it doesn't seem like it. And they seem like they're a religious bunch. They're killers, they're murderers, they're evil, they're wicked. And they will do anything they can to make America break down and they'll side in with socialism. And uh, they're not far from it anyway. I mean, they're, they've been run by tyrants for years. Socialism, communism, Marxism. Uh, really, it, it's... The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah. yeah, they work together. It's like the Pharisees and the Sadducees working together to kill Jesus. Yes. You know, they were on the opposite end of the religious uh, mindset. But yeah... I got a feeling anybody who is Muslim, who's truly Muslim, uh, would be on the democratic side, would be on the liberal side, would be on the Marxist side all the way. And uh, you know that's uh, that's another enemy, but it's they all come together. So yeah, I, I think you were saying yes to all of the above. They definitely fit in with it. We've seen that with a lot of these nations that are against Israel. Two different Yeah. And it's all, but they're all serving the same God. They're just calling different names. As long as you're an enemy of my enemy. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah, the Muslims love all this, although you would think, well, they wouldn't be into communism. You know, because they're Muslims, they're religious and, and such. And yeah, well, there you go. That's how they work. And... Uh, Everybody's really, you know, when it's all said and done, who's really the enemy here? Satan. He's pulling the strings. And he's uniting people together that you wouldn't have ever thought would have ever gotten together. And of course, the Muslims and and Russia also have been working together for several decades. Russia supplying the uh, munitions to uh, 
Iran, Iraq, and other nations. They still are doing that, what I understand. And that's where you find the guns that they have and uh, missiles. Where do they come from? Yeah, Russia. Russia is, is atheistic, and Muslim believe in one false god. Somehow they can work together. So anyway, uh, remember Balaam and Balak and, and that whole deal, and Balaam was to curse Israel. He wound up blessing Israel. Uh, God made that happen. And not only does Balaam bless Israel, but he actually reiterates the curse on the Amalekites. <laughs> so, <laughs> Exodus 17, you get a lot of that. So, um, um, why is Saul's sparing of a king and some cattle so offensive to God? He He... He wiped out everybody, man, woman, and child, infants, all the cat, you know, certain, well, certain cattle. <laughs> and he, but he left one man. <clears throat> Not so bad. He killed him. He killed everybody else. He even killed the infants. So, why, you know, what's wrong with, you know, saving the king? <laughs> um, well, uh, self serving. <laughs> He's got a lot of pride. Uh, he would get a measure of popularity with this because uh, you can imagine Agag, which we'll run into in this story here, is a trophy of power, of prowess. There he could have him still living and it reminds the people that we defeat, defeated the Amalekites and wiped them out. And so um, he, it's almost like even though he's not dead at this time, it's like mounting up a moose head, you know, on the wall and displaying him prominently in, in a hunter's den. That's why they kept him alive for a while, at least Saul did. And uh, maybe he sat at Saul's table and he is depending totally upon Saul. And he thinks he's getting away with it. Well, the king here does. That is, his name is Agag. In a moment, we'll get to the part called Hacking Agag to Pieces. Oh, wow, isn't that something? I mean, this is Christian? Yes, it is. Sounds like warmonger. What kind of God is this? He's He's sovereign and he's holy, isn't he? Anything that is less than him. He could destroy them all and be perfectly just because that's how sinful we are. Well, the Amalekites and Agag are not examples of good people. They are horrible and wicked. Let's go to Exodus 17 for a moment, 8 through 16. Yeah, it's a difficult chapter, what we're reading tonight, but... Let's read this. Uh, Verse 8, Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out and fight against Amalek. This is whenever they were coming in from Egypt 
into the promised land, right? And these are the Malachites now. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And he took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an os altar and named it, The Lord is my banner. And he said, The Lord is sworn, the Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. There we go. And sometime it was going to happen when Amalek would be blotted out forever. But Generation to generation went on. That was a great battle, a great war. And God actually won it. The Lord is my banner. Jehovah Nisi, I think, is how you pronounce that. Uh, I find it interesting, though, that, um, that this is like, you know, the time of war. It's just war times. You know, and we hear about the Israelites doing this, but it's no different than when other nations went and conquered other nations. When a nation invaded another nation, or this town invaded this town, or this village invaded that village, they would slaughter everyone in the place. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting hearing that, you know, God commanding them to do it, you know, it just, you know, it's a common thing of war. And then, you know, it's just, it's just kind of interesting. War is a horrible thing. You know, I mean, I wouldn't want to be fighting in a war, you know, literally. You know, it's, it's the most hellish thing that I can think of. You know, I can't even watch the movies anymore. It's just, it is just overwhelming, you know, to actually see those things happen. It's, and what it is, it, it just puts on display the evil of mankind. It shows that man is a sinner. And it's like, why would God send Israel against them? Well, because they were going to, they were going to try to wipe Israel out. And they would have had God not prevailed there. You well, got to take like, them out. Just like with Balaam, what Balaam said. He said, if you want to get to the Israelites, give them your idols. You know? Give them your false gods, and they'll worship them, and then God will come down on them. Yep. Well, the so what I always worry about when I'm reading this, you know, we don't kill people very well. It changes a person when they kill a person. And so, what was happening to the Israelites as they were slaughtering all these people? What were they becoming like? That's a good question. Yeah. yeah. They uh, imagine they they were glad they won. I mean, it's either it's either me or them, right? Right, but I mean, you you murder a baby, you can't really say it's either me or him. Right, (laughs) you know, it's a baby. 
It's a yeah, you can't really right. use any yeah. either. Yeah. And, you know, and so what happens, I mean, I understand, because if you leave the kids, the kids are coming back. They're yeah. still Amalekites, and they're going to come and get you. Continue over and over. I it happens in that next generation, right, to the fourth right, generation. Right, and I understand that, and I understand it had to happen. But what happens to the Israelite that kills the baby? What happens to that guy? Ask, ask yeah. our soldiers that came back from Vietnam. Exactly. Yeah. Because the Carl were, had problems. I mean, Carl had, had, problems. Carl had PTSD or because gay, he killed a 14-year-old boy all kinds of stuff like that. that was coming into the camp, and Carl was on duty, and that boy was coming into the camp. He was strapped with grenades. And, it's going to blow him away. Carl did all the right stuff, stopped, and blah, 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 and then he shot him. It was ever and there. when he got to him, he was just a kid. Yeah. It's, Carl oh, your heart is just When got, we got married, Carl was still having a problem with that. Probably did all the way through. Even though you know that what you did was right. And he protect and he saved a lot of his own men there. Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah, we, we talked shame, about that. That shame should really fall on the parents for putting that on that kid. That would be yeah. ideal, but... But also, it just know, made them hate Americans more. Well, yeah. With the Israelites going and, you know, taking out, you know, the kids, they were sacrificing their kids to their gods anyway. Mm-hmm. In, like, gruesome mm-hmm. and disgusting ways. That's how bad they were. Than just going and, like, ending them. You know, because they, they would put their babies in things and burn them alive to their god. They would and that's on them. I just, I just think about the soldiers that went in and killed all those people and what happened to their hearts. Fix everybody. Yeah. Fix everybody. It's not. A, but this is the plight of mankind. Or people when they drop bombs and then the radiation affects the nation for years to come and then people are born with birth defects and just all kinds of stuff. That's kind of worse than just even sacrificing somebody. Right. I mean, you know. This I mean, is, it's, all, it's all bad. Yeah. It's all this bad. is all the bad side. And it shows that. And then you look at it and you go, but there is hope. Mm-hmm. And because wars are going to go all the way, all the way to the time that Christ comes back. And right. then He's going to end wars. Mm-hmm. And there will be no more wars. Yeah. But as long as there's man on this planet, there will be wars. And that's why we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because we haven't seen anything yet. I mean, we really haven't really seen how to, how bad it can get here in a, in, in America. I don't want like part of it is like people will take these verses and these chapters and you know apply them to us today, and it's like now these are the Israelites. They were promised land. It was their time to come and take their land, and. You know, these people were wicked and bad, but now that Christ has came, He's instructed us how to live a different life—a life that we don't, we're not called to do this. God's not going to call us to go and murder people. Uh, yeah, we can go beyond all right? this now, we can't we? We don't need to do any of that stuff. Like God, God will never call us to do that because then that would go against what God has said in His Word with Christ concerning, you know, how we're to live. And not, we're not. He's never going to call us to go and murder somebody. And here's the thing about God: we could, you know, you could read this. It can really make him look bad to a human. But 
we know, it, like as far as Jonah is concerned, remember that? At the end of the day, it's, God says that He does not take pleasure on the punishment of the innocent. It's not that he, he really loves to do this. But if you don't do something to something that's evil, it, it, you know, it's just like having surgery. Some people have to take a leg off. But if you don't take that leg off, gangrene sets in and you die. So he has to do what is, seems to be the severest to keep mankind even alive. Because mankind would blow himself apart, wouldn't he? You know, it wouldn't take very long at all. So, but God, whenever it looks like He's doing something really bad, it's because that He has given them mercy for years and years and years. And even when He destroyed the earth by the flood, He gave them 120 years and they still did not repent of that So therefore, He's actually very merciful. And if He doesn't do it, then we don't even have a planet left. So, you know, you ponder you know, on the nature of God here and it's because it's good uh, what He has to wind up doing. Even though That's why we can say He can take the worst of things and turn them into good. Romans 8.28 Therefore, all things work together for good for those who love God called according to His purpose. So... Yeah, it's one of the worst things that mankind shows, but there's God involved with it, but we know why. Now we ponder on the nature of Saul's disobedience. And I think we can understand the severity of the consequences. Saul is an Israelite, and he's going to be judged even while he continues to live. So we start in verse 8, this section. He captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep. The, uh, you, you caught that, right? So they killed the sheep, but they kept the good ones, the oxen, the fatlings of the lamb and all that was good. And we're not willing to destroy them utterly. But everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. So anything that was really worthless, they would destroy that. It was really not a sacrifice, was it? Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I regret that I have made Saul king. This is God speaking to Samuel the prophet now. I regret that I made him king. For he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul. He's got to go tell Saul what God has said. And it was told Samuel saying, Saul came to Carmel and behold he set up a monument for himself then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. Remember, he won that big battle, you know, and he, now he's put up a monument. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. Oh, he's proud of himself. But Samuel said, 
what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? What is that? And the lowing of the oxen, which I where do they get from? Saul said, Well, they have brought they have brought them from the Malachites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But the rest we have utterly destroyed, like God said. Then Samuel said to Saul, Wait, and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak. Remember, Saul has not been getting the word of the Lord. At one, at the very first, he was actually prophesying. <laughs> he can't even speak to God anymore because God has turned his back on him. Because Samuel has exposed his heart, his attitudes. Samuel said, Is it not true? Though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel. You remember how he would, he would uh, hide in the luggage? Uh, yeah, he, would, he didn't really want to be king. He says, remember that? And the Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Then Saul said to Samuel, oh, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agag the king of Amalek and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil, the people did, the sheep, the oxen, the choices of the things devoted to destruction. They were going, you know, they were going to be destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. We kept the best so we could sacrifice to you. In the name of religion and in the name of God, He's doing that. What did God say? He said we kept it from being destroyed. Mm -hmm. He knew what the command was. Destroy everything. It's not very hard to discern. Well, it's like He said, okay, well, keep some some back. You know. Now, they didn't have to make a decision. Just do what God says. So that Scripture that we read... And Leviticus was talking about it was a sacrifice if they had done what God said. Right. Bingo. That, that was the sacrifice exactly. God wanted. Was there to give us That's it. That's it. Value. Now, it's interesting, you know, you have this anthropomorphism here. You guys remember what that word is? Mm-hmm. God says, I regret that I've made Saul king. Now, is that. Did he not know that this was going to happen? Yes, absolutely he knew that. But the people wanted a king at that time. And God said, okay, you got him. Here's your king. But the problem is, is it's not that God is repenting or changing His mind because His plan is going to go through exactly the way that He wanted it. But yet, there's a humanness here that we can understand. God often will say this to us, I regret that you know that I ever made him a king, or I regret this, I repent of this, or Moses would pray to God and God would like change His mind. But He didn't. 
Because God cannot change His mind. His nature is that His mind doesn't change. He doesn't change His plans. I'm glad that He's always the same. I'm glad He doesn't change. I'm glad we change. But God, if He changes, that means He can get better or He can get worse. God can't get better or worse. He's already perfect. Right. But who is he writing to? Man. He's, t- he's speaking to Samuel, who's a man. We're reading this today, and we can understand that God would say, you know, I regret that I ever made him king. It's not that I wasn't going to do that. That's what was kind of the plan, but uh, we can understand that, though, can't we? Anthropomorphism. Put in a way that he puts language that mankind can understand. Otherwise, we'd never understand God at all. <laughs> like we, we really do now. Right, right. <laughs> um, we may be tempted to think that Saul disobeys the command of God, but he's sincere. You know, maybe a little misguided here, but he wants to do a good thing, you know. Uh, what kind of motivation does he have? <laughs> it's not obeying God all the way. Um, anyway, if if he was really, let's say, um, maybe wanting to spare certain ones, then... Yeah, he didn't even say anything. He just went on. And then, why is it... He, he killed all the children. But he kept cattle back. And he kept the king back. But he didn't have any trouble killing the little, little children. That's where a lot of people would probably stumble on, right? But uh, So he doesn't really care about those little children. Or he's at least compassionate. A lot of liberals would say, well, you know, he's compassionate though. You know, you got to give Saul a break here because he's so caring and he's so kind. Yeah, they did a study recently that said that most people in today's culture would rather, like if you saw a person dying or like a puppy dying, drowning, they would most likely go in for the animal yeah, versus the kid. Animal first. So they yeah, would actually probably see this as like... Wait, somebody, you say like a child? Yeah, like a kid, yeah. Like a child or a puppy? Yeah, an adult or like a puppy. Oh, an adult or a puppy? An adult or a puppy or a kid or a puppy. Well, I mean, it, 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 it makes going, a difference. It doesn't have to, it doesn't have to make a difference. It makes kind of a difference. Whether it's an adult or a child. I mean, I'm not I'm just saying if or, it's a child, it's more of like... You're saying that they would rather save an animal's do you think life they, than a human's life. Well, why do you think they're like all oh, women and children first? That makes a difference, right? No, it doesn't. Well, people are still people. It makes a difference. Humans, like, male, female, I'm like, child. Either way, though, like I think that that's absurd. If that you saw an adult drowning or a puppy drowning, which would you say? I would say the adult. Okay, if you saw a kid drowning or a puppy drowning, which would you say? The kid. Okay, so then we don't have an issue. We're not arguing. No, I'm, I'm not saying if there saying are people out there, <laughs> if they saw a puppy <laughs> drowning or a kid drowning at the same time, they would rather save the puppy. I'm saying that's what the statistics have shown. So they would not have the compassion for humans as right. much as they would for animals. An animal, right. Whether it's a kid or an adult or a woman, they would rather save yeah. the animal. My father taught me that uh, human's life it always trumps 
any animal, okay. obviously, you know what I mean? So, I mean, I have that, yeah. whether it's a puppy or not, you know? But, I mean... The value of a human life. Yeah. But the value of a human life and to a Christian is very important. But to the world these days, so look, at, look at the abortion here in the right. U.S. Look at right. the euthanasia that's done in right. many countries instead of taking care of the elderly. Right. It's just... Right. Yeah, that's a the big world, thing, too. The, the whole world throat. is... I mean, some nursing homes... I mean, I'm sure that there's some older people that want to go to a nursing home, because I, you know what I mean? But then there's also the people that w would enjoy maybe their own children taking care of them if they could. But yeah, I mean, this is somewhere where that's very common I to mean, just... Even here in the U.S. right now, I have seen too many incidences where doctors make the choice. Oh, I'm not going to treat you. It's not worth treating you. You're 98 years old. It's your time to go. Right. That's kind of what the New York governor did, wasn't it? Whenever he sent all the uh, elderly people, when they found out that they had uh, COVID, they just sent them right on into the nursing home and let them uh, infect everybody else there. And they, how many, how many people were killed? We're talking hundreds and hundreds, right? Maybe even thousands. Was and he did it on purpose. I mean, the guy's a murderer. He had no value for human life. So he, for older people, and for boy, they're a, a very much a, a abortion state, aren't they? New York. One of the worst. They clapped when they got full Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Hey. Yeah, yeah, and we're going to be paying for them again. Mm. Under Obama, we will. Mm. Biden. She's right. <laughs> Obama. She's right. You're right. She's right. I'm sure. So, disobedience of Saul, it doesn't come from compassion on Agag or the, or the, the animals, right? So we can just rule that out. Number two, he did a partial obedience. It's still sin. If we don't do all that God says, it's bad sin. Uh, disobedience sometimes occurs and sometimes what would be a bold, blatant form, just disobeying God. Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God. Right? Adam knew better, but he, he you know, for forbidden fruit, and he went ahead and did it anyway. But here Saul sins by failing to obey God's commandment to the letter of the law there. Saul does most of what God instructs him to do. He does the majority of it. Yes, he did kill them all, but one human. But he doesn't obey completely. And to God, that doesn't count as obedience. Hey, well, I did this, I did that. How many people will say that? Yeah, I messed up there. But look what I did here. Look what I... That doesn't matter. You disobeyed here. <laughs> Samuel sees incomplete obedience here on the part of Saul. And that was sin. And then, it's almost like it's a religious thing is why he's doing it. Yeah, but we're going to sacrifice these animals to God. Yeah, that was not it. They wanted to keep it. He, they just got. He just got caught and got in trouble. Mm. And the people like this. Yes, the people know they're going to get a meal out of this. You sacrifice the animal, and you still have the meat that's left over. They're going to have a party. Exactly. <laughs> and the people brought him all those animals. Well, of course they did. He can't do all of that himself. But. He's probably saying, "Bring them on," you know. But most sacrifices they would 
first kill the animal and then burn it, right? I mean, like, not, all the way. Not all well, there's different kinds of uh, animal sacrifice. There's one called the total burnt offering, and you're right. And that's all up to God. And then there's other sacrifices that a portion is given to God, and then the, then the people that are... Uh, like the priest would share in all that meat. Here, this would be all of the people involved. Right, right. That's exactly what they're thinking. You know, why should we waste these? Animals? That's they're thinking like a human. And in, in one sense, we'd say, "Yeah, well, that makes sense. You don't want to waste something." But God, they started burning. They started getting rid of the animals. They were smelling that that's that's why I like the whole fasting thing because you you don't have to like you're sacrificing even though you want to eat you know you're sacrificing like um you know your pleasure in a way I guess or your like humanly instincts and you don't have to kill an animal and in a way waste it I mean even though it's not wasted because it goes back into the grass or you know what I mean it, like nutrition for the for you know, for the grass and you know, like the circle of life type of thing. But I don't know. I just I like the Native American way of like I don't know how which specific tribes did this, but I know I was taught at least from my father that like the Native Americans would kill an animal and then they would pray over the animal and think like um, thank it for its sacrifice, you know, yeah. and then they would use every part of the animal. Absolutely, and that's what it should be, because, right. you know, hey, th- that this animal, in a sense, actually gave its life up for you to have a meal. Yeah. I've seen a lot of those survivor shows mm-hmm. where they've gone for like days or maybe week, almost weeks without having uh, hardly anything to eat at all. Right. And they'll be thanking God for this animal that, and thinking that you know they gave up their life for them to survive. It just seems right, you know. I mean, for me, like I'm not, I have never gone hunting. I would like to, but if I did go hunting, I would definitely eat the animal. You know. Yeah, a lot and, of people just do it for sport, just like fishing. Right. I mean, I do it for both, you know, because I would enjoy doing it for sport in a way. I mean, to. Just for, you know, but at the yeah. same time, I would make sure that I eat the animals so that it's not wasted. As you don't go around poaching animals and no, just let them die there, no. you know. it's Yeah. But in this case, it's like, that's, you could see how they would be thinking that. But wait a minute. What is most important is God's Word. The Word came from God to Samuel the prophet. Samuel relays it to Saul. Saul understood exactly what Samuel told him. This this is straight from God, isn't it? This is God's Word. You don't have anything to think about. We just do this and say, well, you know, what what about this? And what of this? What what about this little infant that's crippled? You know, you You wipe them all out. Wipe every animal out. I don't think really the Israelites batted an eyelash when they did that because it you know considering the relationship between the Israelites and the surrounding nations you know they're pretty much bullied a lot of the times by these other nations anyway so anytime that God told them to go and conquer and they went and did you know and they they won battles and won victories you know they always had that that conflict with being ruled over, being bullied, having their crops taken, you know, so it, it almost seems like this is our time to strike and like finally get rid of this sore that's been bothering us 
almost like a cure to their problem. So it, it just seems like they didn't really care. But now, I obviously, you can't, because you're, I obviously, I wasn't there. I wasn't one of the Israelites. But, you know, they just, they are pretty, pretty quick about it. I'm sure it. some women mad, you know how women are more sensitive sometimes, like, I'm sure there's some women, some Israelite women that well, were Well, the Israelite like, oh. women didn't go fight. Right, but they were told, well, I mean, I don't know. I really don't know, but I'm assuming they, they knew what was going to happen, you know, some of them. And they were like, oh, well, what about the children? Are you going to murder them too? And, you know, there was, I'm sure they talked about it, right? Yeah. I mean, whether it was yeah. before or after, it was talked about. And, and, and they, they, know, they knew, and it had to be related though, and this is the key point. It's disobedience of Saul, and it's disobedience of the people, isn't it? Here's what God said. He made it very, very clear, and we can try to reason it out and saying, yeah, but what about this? No, there's no if ands, or buts. When God gives commands, and that's the way it is for us, no matter what, if we know something to be true and right, because it's written in here. We don't have to make a decision. Well, what about this case though here today? You know, about let's say all the things that are going on in the world, whereas 10 years ago it was a sin. Now, like, well, it's okay now because everybody does it and it should be accepted, right? No. No, if, if, it, was all, if it was wrong once, it's always wrong. And so we want to abide by the Word of God, even though in our human thinking we're thinking, we could save these animals. By we could use those as sacrifices and keep our own animals and keep them and not have to sacrifice them. You see, they got a great victory. You won't have to sacrifice, and you'd normally take it from the people, right? Oh, well, if we can just take those anyway, and see, they're doing their reasoning, and they're they're making it sound right and work right, and God is really going to show that. He, there is an absolute difference in the way that man tries to make it better and it's really totally against him. Now, and he laid the blame on others. At first, he doesn't repent of his sin. You know, I've carried the command of the Lord. You know, I did this. Um, obedience is unacceptable to God. And Saul suddenly seeks to lay the blame off on the people then. And they brought them from the Amalekites, he says, and how often sin becomes like a social event, it's encouraged uh, and entered into by many. So if you get a few people really going along with something, everybody else goes, yeah, must be okay. Everybody else is doing it. Well, his sin was not taken seriously enough. Saul eventually confesses his sin still lays the blame on the people as he's confessing, but like he wants to immediately move on to the blessings of God, hoping to maybe sidestep God's discipline. And this is really apparent when we look at well, 24 through 33, which we will go into here in a moment. Okay, okay, Saul's saying, I messed up. Okay, so I messed up. I admit it. Now, can we get on? Can we get on with this? You know, uh, let's get on with life. And, uh, you know, Samuel, I want you to stay with me and worship with me so that my image is not tarnished, you know, to the people. It's basically the idea. By the way, it's hypocritical, his obedience is too. 
He is a man who will not tolerate anyone who fails to carry out His commands. And you remember last week we looked at His son, Jonathan, and the, de- the stupid oath that he came up with that they shouldn't eat any food you know, for the whole day. And you know, he did not back down at all. He was ready to kill Jonathan as a result of that. So he's amazingly lenient on himself. And at the same time, he, how about disobeying God? Disobey Saul? Never. But here he wants you know, things just to kind of go on with life here. I messed up. Okay, uh, okay. No big deal. It is a huge deal. Should have took a finger or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is the second of two major instances now of Saul's disobedience. Chapter 13, Saul offers up a burnt offering when he was supposed to wait for Samuel. That was bad. This, again, is another bad thing that goes uh, really awry. Verse 22, Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. There's our famous verse. And to heed than that the fat of rams. There's our Keith Green, right? For rebellion is as the sin of divination. Wow. And insubordination is as an iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. And that's where it's always at. He spoke, he speaks clearly. He has also rejected you from being king. Now you think, okay, boom, dismissed. He's no longer the king. It's just like Adam and Eve when they sinned. They went on living for a long time. King Saul stays king for a long time after this. But his line is going to be cut off. It's going to go to through the tribe of Judah, which God had in mind in the very first place anyway. That was his real will. And so he shows this deal with Saul and who is disobedient. And it's definitely being exposed for what it is. So... Uh, Samuel has none of this, and he has uh, a principle here that he puts forth, and uh, while performing God's prescribed religious rituals here, is a good thing if it's done with pure motives, right? If it's done with clean hands and a pure heart. And Samuel reads right through him. He knew exactly that was not a pure heart. It was not about him loving God and really wanting to sacrifice in that way. And then sin doesn't, uh, Saul doesn't take his sin of disobedience seriously here. Um, it's well, about obedience. Saul didn't want to be king anyway. Well, he doesn't. Yeah. Remember, he was hiding in the beginning. Yeah. He didn't want to go to war. I mean, he didn't want to fight. He let little twelve year old David do it. He's like, Yeah, I'm gonna let you do that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's another thing, and if you die it's on you. <laughs> We're slaves because of you, David. <laughs> that backfired for him. <laughs> well, we have this sacrifice. Is it wrong to sacrifice then? 
No. It's a good thing. To obey is better than ritualistic worship, though, and that's really what it was. It was a ritual for Saul. It was meaningless as far as really being spiritual with the Lord. To disobey is worse than pagan idolatry or witchcraft, divination, idolatry. Wow, that is really serious. That's why God takes this so seriously. If you obey me, it's worse than idolatry. It's worse than devil worship. Wow, see, we don't take sin seriously enough ourselves. So we keep on doing it sometimes, isn't it? Saul's repentance is found in 24 through 31. And when I say repentance, it's in quotes. Saul said to Samuel, wrapped it up, I have sinned. So he admits it now, right? Okay. There's the point. I have indeed indeed transgressed the command of the Lord in your words because I feared the people and listened to their voice. I think he's the king. I think he can call the shots, right? Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Well, that all sounds good and fine. If it was really real, you'd go, hallelujah. Hallelujah but we all sit here and we know better than that. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have what? Rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor, who is better than you. The neighbor is David, who later will take over after Saul dies in battle. But God has already made up his mind that it will not go through the line of Saul. We've already seen that. Now it is on display. God tells him that. Samuel says it. Uh, also the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind. The glory of Israel is God, right? He will not change his mind. This is the way it's going to be. For he is not a man that he should change his mind. He's not like man who changes his mind. There's the attribute of not changing his mind. Whereas it looked like he said, I regret that I ever you know, had, had Saul as king. But we understand what he's saying there. You guys wanted it. Here we go. Here's why I regret it. Because look at this. He gives an example of absolute disobedience Saul does. So we go on. And uh, verse 30. Then he said, I have sinned. But please, he's begging now, Saul is. Honor me now before the elders of my people. That they can all see that I'm okay. And... Before Israel, and go back with me. Everything is okay, okay? That I may worship the Lord your God. Well, by di- if you disobey, are you really worshiping God? If you're not repenting right, are you worshiping God? So Samuel, look at this. This is mercy on Samuel. Samuel went back following Saul. Saul worshiped the Lord. Went through the motions maybe. He was scared to death. Samuel agreed to follow Saul. Maybe seeing this is maybe the wisest choice to do for the nation at that time. 
you know, he could have just walked off. And he does after this. And he never sees Saul again until after he's dead. What was interesting is here, and I hope it said it the same way as yours, but Saul was saying, worship the Lord your God. He didn't yeah. say the yeah, Lord you know, my God. God. Right. Yeah, your God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Your God. Third. Yep, that's, that's right. That's a good point. All the way through this, he's always said that. Your God. Your God. Yep. You're right. We've seen that throughout, haven't we? It's sad to read the biblical report here of disobedience, isn't it? But see, doesn't that bring you back to what we said about who Saul really was? Because he kept calling him Samuel's God. You're saying about being a believer. So it seems... Well, the more we go through this, the more we're going to come absolutely convinced that this man's not a believer. You know, But I still hold to the fact, I don't know... But once you, from here on out, you're not going to see anything good about Saul, really. Whereas we saw good at first. Now we're not going to see it all. It's weighted heavily. And if you just read this part, I think you would say, I don't see how the man's a believer. And I still say that. I don't see how this guy could be a believer. But here we go. It's sad to see the disobedience. But you know what's worse? Is... His response to Samuel's rebuke. No good attitude here at all. Uh, he claimed to obey God's command. Then the sin is exposed. Then he admits his failure. And, uh, you know, of course, he tries to sanctify his disobedience by somehow worshiping God. You know, when Samuel cast aside this excuse... You know, Saul just keeps at it. And he said, I fear the people. You know, <laughs> that's why I, I did it. You know, he just keeps making excuses. And his public image is going to be damaged out of all of this? Oh, man. Yeah. He does not have a deep conviction, I don't believe, concerning the evilness of his sin. He never really saw how bad it was. And it severs the relationship between him and Samuel. You know, it uh, tears off a little bit of Samuel's uh, clothing there. And Samuel then used a good analogy. Just like that is how, you know, you've ripped apart your uh, being king and how this really hurts the nation and such. It hurts everybody. And he only fears that he's going to look bad to the people. But he doesn't care about the people to lead them to the truth, though, either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he blamed them for the truth. Well, he wants to make this look all is well. Everything's okay. Hey, let's just get along, right? And this is how, and this is what God is really trying to get across here. How disobedience is sinful and it must be taken seriously. Here we go. We close this off. Samuel is going to have to carry out God's commands fully. And he always does. Here we go. Then Samuel said, verse 32, bring me Agag. Here we go. The king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. And Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. Everything's been going good for him. Wow. You know, he's still alive. You know, he, so he just thinks, I'm okay. 
Surely the bitterness is all done. Samuel said, he doesn't know the prophet Samuel, does he? As your sword has made women childless. That's what the Amalekites did. Yep. They'd rip out the babies of the womb. So shall your mother be childless among women. That means his mother's not going to have a child anymore. What does that mean? You're dead. (laughs) And Samuel hewed Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. Cut him up in pieces. Wow. What did he use? This was serious. <laughs> MacArthur had a, a sermon called Hacking Agag to Pieces. And really, that's a great picture of how it is for us. We are to hack our agag or our sin to pieces. We are to do everything that we can to choke it, to starve it, to kill it, to mortify the sin that ever so much wants to take charge of us. We are to kill it, to take it seriously. And I think that's a great analogy, isn't it? This this was something real that happened, but this comes to us in a spiritual way. We think things are okay, or we just try to ride over it, and you know, and forget about it. And you know, yes, we have all of our sins forgiven as Christians. We know that, but yet the consequences of that, or continue on with it, is something that we all must take seriously there. And so anyway, that's what what happens here. He does doesn't put Agag to death, but he hews him in pieces. And this would have been the way that he dealt with his foes that he defeated. Agag did that. He'd slice people to pieces. So it's likely that Samuel sees to it that all the Amalekites' cattle, which the Israelites spared, are also put to death too. And here we go. Here's the departing of ways. Then Samuel went to Ramah. He went to his place. But Saul went up to his house, Gibeah of Saul. Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. For Samuel grieved over Saul. He grieved over him that whole time. And the Lord regretted, there we go again, that he made Saul king over Israel. That's the feelings, or you can say that the sense that God, does God grieve even while he's always, he's a joyous God, isn't he? But he grieves over our sin. And so, we know that it was necessary. God grieves, but it's necessary. It's not a source of joy in that sense. God is all-powerful and He's the one who is always happy and joyous, but He does things which causes him sorrow. Can you guys understand that? I guess that's in a human way. Yeah, he sorrows over things that... all the sin that's in the world. Grieves over Christian sin because he cares for us. And it was like he had to send his son to die on the cross. 
in the hands of wicked sinners. Wow. God does all of this for His ultimate glory and for His ultimate good. It's good for us. And that's all about His glory. So I think of Romans 9. It's a great one to close out with. These are the tough things of God. There are tough sayings of God that really require a lot of study and thinking. Um, Romans... uh, I think it's in Romans uh, 9. Where he says... um, Verse 22, What if God, although willing to demonstrate His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much patience, and He's very patient with sinners. He's patient, much more patient than we would ever be. People who would condemn God because of these kind of actions, they're the very ones if they had something done against them, that they would not have patience and they would see joy in having somebody go through and suffer, wouldn't they? Those very same people that would seem so compassionate. God goes for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years putting up with people's sin and giving them time to repent. So here's the verse, is willing to demonstrate His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much patience, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. That's for His glory there. And then He says, and He did so to make known the riches of His glory upon vessels of mercy, that would be us, which He prepared, prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom He also called, not from among Jews only, but also Gentiles. So there we go. That would be the answer to the people that say, I cannot believe God would do this kind of thing. That would be saying, you don't understand the sin of mankind and where everybody should go. We all should be killed and have hell for the rest of eternity. Every one of us. But yet God has mercy and grace. And that is why we're overwhelmed. Everybody is on the track to go there. Why would He even save any? Because we're no better than anybody else. That's really what it comes down to. And so, we're way past time. Thank you guys. We had a lot of great great input. Great thank you. That's, this is a lot of depth here. And it, it for a lot of people, it would cause, a, uh, just, it, it would cause their minds to be stirring. Either they would hate God or they'd say, I've got to find out more about this. I'm not so sure. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time that we've had. We know some things go beyond our human thinking. And it takes supernatural thinking, the mind of Christ, to understand why You do the things You do. And we always know it is for good. And it's always good. And it's always mercy and love and grace. And You're patient, God. You're not like us who are ready to stomp and turn on anybody that does us wrong. Thank You, Lord, for who You are and what You do. Your attributes amaze us every time we look into Your Word. Thank You for this evening. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for hanging there. (laughs) I enjoyed it. It's a tough section.
guess I am getting to know God a little bit better because I remember the first time I read this. I thought, Ooh, I bet. oh no, no, there's something wrong here. <laughs> yeah, I had a hard time with it. I knew God is good all the time, but, but... I like that that's good because isn't that really what Saul was saying yeah I agree I know we have to take him out but but, and all of a sudden the human reasoning comes in and it's saying well this makes more sense than what God just said and that is why God was was very angry with him God was just being wasteful we could use those animals he's just isn't he but back in the early days, that was hard to swallow, wasn't it, Penny? It was hard well, because we didn't know who God was. Have we all been there? I think so. Well, you're talking all ago about the wasting of the animals. The whole thing is, all that was his anyway. Yeah. <laughs> None of that was rude. Yeah. yeah, it was all his anyway. What are you worried about? What are you yeah. doing with it? <laughs> And who knows how he would have taken care of them after that. That's the thing. That's what blessing, blessing did they really miss? For, for doing it bigger yep. way. He'll pray Sinatra. Boy, this Old Testament stuff. Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas, guys! See you later! Have a good week! Wow.